Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome. This is Better Than Yesterday, the Wednesday edition. Better make it quick where I, Osher Ginsburg, take you insert name here, <laughs> through an episode from uh, the back catalogue, because there's heaps of episodes. We've been here since 2013, trying to make your day-to-day better than yesterday by having conversations with people from all walks of life, people from all over the world, people who are experts in their field. And each episode does just that. Some of them are well worth visiting again. If you've only just joined us, if you only just subscribed, there's hundreds and hundreds of interviews, hundreds of episodes. And this one goes back quite a way from before Lauren was my manager. Lauren has since become my manager, but uh, Lauren Miller is the CEO of HMMG, formerly known as the Harry M. Miller Group. Uh, They've represented high-profile talent here in Australia for well over 50 years. Now, when we had this conversation in 2016, we were mates. Uh, She's now my manager, with along with Rachel Barrett, who EPs this episode and all the stuff I do between Lauren and Rachel, they helped me run the show and we've worked together for a long time. Lauren is the daughter of two extraordinarily successful people. Her mother, Wendy, really led the way for, I know it sounds odd, but cattle breeding in Australia and as far as, shall we say, artificial insemination of cattle. And her dad, Harry M. Miller, a immensely successful promoter, publicist, agent. and But this is, you know, your parents are your parents. That's just how you grow up. But I wondered, you know, what's it like being raised by two such incredibly impressive people? The story of my birth um, is, uh, it, it, well, is a funny one because um, my father at the time was organising the head of the committee organising the Queen's Silver Jubilee and was hosting Prince Charles in Australia at that time. And um, mum knew that she, I would, she would be having her, her second caesarean. And she literally, uh, in the week or whatever period that Prince Charles was here, he, I believe he stayed at their house. They had private dinners at their house. She just popped off and had a caesarean. And then I think within 24 hours was the, the primary event at the house. And um, she was there front and centre with my father to host Prince Charles and then went back to hospital that night. 
So I'm from pretty strong female stock, you might say. Um, born at the uh, born at the Crown Street Hospital, which, as I said, doesn't no longer exist. Um, and apparently, she had the same anaesthetist that I had when I gave birth 35 years later. Well. There you go. But raised in Sydney, but um, mum and dad already owned the property at Dunmore, which was north of Tamworth, mm-hmm. at a place called Manila, outside of Manila. Right. Manila with two L's. <laughs> the other one. And so for a period of time, sort of that infant primary school time, we would come and go. So I spent all of third grade at at the you know Catholic convent school in Manila, but then I would have spent most of fourth grade back at Dogway Public in Sydney. So we really moved around a bit. I don't really remember to what degree, but at the time, I mean, Dad was... He, he was um, obviously busy rebuilding his business at that time after the, um, after the collapse of CompuTicket and everything that came with that. Um, and my mother was pioneering um, um, AI, you know, artificial insemination in cattle at the property um, and also was sort of beginning to work at the Rand, which was the Randwick Equine Centre, which was sort of the, the premier um, Randwick vet um, vet practice and surgery, um, of which she was a stable vet and specialist anaesthetist. So kind of pretty, pretty busy. But this again, um, an amazing early country upbringing. And yeah. honestly, I mean that's obviously why I'm so down to earth. <laughs> How early? It's really though, helped. How early did you realise? I think it's, no matter what your upbringing, mm. no matter what class of society you'll get brought up in, there is, I believe, there must be a point when you realise that not everybody's like your parents and your parents aren't like everybody. Mm. I certainly remember that. I certainly mm. remember noticing that other parents, other people's parents didn't take them to the, the you know, chamber music concerts every Thursday. Yeah. You know, other people's parents didn't take them to art galleries and explain why Chagall and Miro were different and da-da-da. Mm. Uh, but if everybody did, you know, mm. um, how old were you when you realised that your dad and mum were kind of a little bit different from everybody else's dad and mum? Well, it, I find I think it's so hard to say, like because I don't think I put it this way. I don't think I had an understanding or or really a respect for what dad did or had done until I started working for him, which would be a lot longer, the down the further down the track. Um, but also it's not as if we were um, going skiing in Aspen or doing any of that stuff. To be honest, when we were all a family, I think we went to Hamilton Island in 1984 and that's because dad probably got it for free. I mean, like <laughs> we, we didn't, we, we had this amazing property in a life and yet we might've caught small planes to Sydney and it had an airstrip and things like that. But, um, you know, we were farm kids. Yeah. And so when I got to ask them, like at fifth grade in 1988, I just thought they were so bizarre. I was like, they don't even know what, like how wheat grows. They don't even, they don't know this farm stuff. And that was the moment of, wow, these stuck up city girls are really different to me. And then that was probably the moment of, oh, not everybody's had the farm girl right. upbringing that we had. And then sort of later on when we'd start doing the odd sort of cool thing, you know, like I saw the 
concert version of Jesus Christ Superstar 30 times in 1992. Not everybody got to do that, mm. you know. So that was a moment where I think when you get your first AAA lanyard, which you'd respect, um, is kind of a big moment. And um, I, th- I suppose it was around then and I would have only been... I don't know, 13, 14, old enough to think that John Stevens was the hottest thing since well, he sliced was. bread. He really I mean, he was. Literally was. He was a great Judas Iscariot. <sighs> <laughs> so when you were a kid, though, there was no like, oh, kids, this is, uh, this is John uh, Farnham uh, for dinner. There was none of that sort of stuff when the people would come over? Um... You know, I don't know. Look, I had lots of friends. Maybe I never had them over. I, I just, I, I don't remember. I think I did take people to the rehearsals. No, I mean, Superstar. like when you were a kid, did they, did some of the people, some of the acts your father was touring, did they ever come over for oh, dinner? Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Oh no, oh yeah, absolutely. So you know, I mean, Maggie Tabra's my godmother, and Graham Kennedy's my was my godfather. <laughs> you know, and that. And and so people over the years are like, that's the most exceptional thing ever. But, I mean, you know, Harry and Graham fell out many moons ago, but Maggie I probably speak to about every 10 days, you know, because she was just, we are just family. And that's, and it's always, that's the way it's always been. So I'm not trying to pretend that I'm not, I wasn't affected by it or whatnot, but it when it is your norm, you just don't think that that's, it's anything else than yeah. anything other than normal. But there are incredible people who would have visited Dunmore and, um, you know, people that... And my mother talks about, um, you know, dinners with um, inc- the most incredible people, um, uh, authors and amazing artists and... Um, various different people. I remember meeting Grace Jones at the factory and she had a little boy from memory and he was very, very shy. Um, so, but um, I don't know. I mean, children are so caught up in their own stuff. I mean, these days even more so. I mean, we were just kind of doing doing our own thing. Yeah. But we had that, I mean, they had wonderful life and social life. They had amazing, you know, amazing, amazing friends and, um, and at, you know, wild dinner parties and whatnot where we'd be staying over at a friend's house. Um, and they all had kids and the highlight was everybody got to eat McDonald's and it was like the biggest thing. And, you know, they, they were having wild, wild dinner parties in the other, in the other room. But we were just kids doing our thing it just and there were fam- you know a lot of famous faces around those tables there was one group of friends in particular that held a lot of the dinner parties who shall remain nameless but they would have, <laughs> yeah, I've been pushing you wild. I've pushed you three times for names and you they won't drop any which I is what I love out, I can't I can't do too many names but come on it was a, it was the 70s I'm sure but know. it was what no no this is 80s, 80s. well and truly 80s um but uh, I, I don't I think that um The other names or occasions will occur to me as we go, as we roll through. And I wanted to know what it was like having a dad. I mean, I knew who this man was well before I ever knew Lauren. What was it like having a dad who was so high profile with such a big personality? And when you're that busy, like how how much was he around? I guess. Um. 
<laughs> I was going to say around might be, you know, it, around is an interesting um, definition, you know, is busy, you know, busy as, and yeah. we were all doing our thing, you know, and he doesn't pretend that he was a particularly around father, but they were together, they were married for 15 years. So I think they separated in about 1987, maybe mm-hmm. fourth grade, right? about fourth grade. Um, and then we, and the farm was sold yeah. year after. So that's kind of when you feel like you're, you know, the little bit of world, world collapsing. Yeah. There. But, you know, and, and, uh, dad was great fun. Keep in mind, I'm the youngest of five children mm. and there's always been a friendly, a friendly saying in our family that he only ever comes good once you're an adult. <laughs> so he can sit down and have a chat with you because he was, you know, he was really tough. You know, your, your conversation about your report card was unnecessarily harsh because he might not have seen, might not have been, been yeah. there or sat down to do the maths homework or whatnot, but he was off, you know, he was doing something that was making Australia a culturally relevant hub. <laughs> yes. And so that's okay. Yeah. And also, you know, I did have a full-time, we had a full-time working mother and incredible grandparents yeah. and, you know, obviously I've got a full older sister and and we, um, you know, the, and just sort of present strong women as well. Yeah. You, you, that's, that's a... That's a big call that a lot of people may not may not realise, but you think you feel that that's the legacy that that Harry has for this country. Oh, absolutely, and I, I've never been reminded of it more. I went to um, the wonderful John English's service, public memorial, last week on Monday, and it was. Um, it's, it's hard when you're describing a memorial service as spectacular, most beautifully produced thing, but it really was. And, you know, when I see the vision of John English singing Heaven on Their Minds from Superstar in the early 70s, I mean, not only is he incredible, um, he was so amazing in that role, but, you know, all of the speakers there were saying this is where it started. We're at the Capitol Theatre. This was Harry's, you know, Harry's vision. That show toured for five years. That employed people around this country and in New Zealand for five years, you know, and then he'd later on go and do those, um, you know, you know, do it all again with various different productions as well. But I think that that up and go to bring, to make Australia a destination for the world, some of the world's greatest um, artists, whether it was Rubenstein or Louis Armstrong or, mm. you know, Shirley Bassey. I mean, he, he did, he put Australia on the map. You know, the, the Stones flew coach to Australia. Get out of here. I did. There's a photo in our... We have sort of like a... Our boardroom is like the Harry tribute room, which is a wall of cartoons of him, which he's always had, which are brilliant. Um, all of the newspaper cartoons he sort of collect... He collected over the years and had them framed. They're magic. And then some of the amazing show posters, one with Louis Armstrong, which he signed, and then the photos from the Stones press conference. Um, the 72. With Harry in the background. <clears throat> Now you're going to quiz me on the year. I probably should have bought his book with me. Um, <laughs> but it was White City, but, right? Yeah, it was Sydney yeah. Stadium. Yeah. Um, but I, I'll fact check that for you. Um, and then, you know, and then as the years went on, moving into moving into talent, moving into television. Um, but it was um, the producing the. Mm. 
theatrical world was really his passion. Yeah. The talent came along the way and incredible projects and relationships and, and whatnot, an incredible legacy and talent. But, you know, he made his money being a theatrical producer. Yeah. Um, and really combined some of the greatest talents. And it's that career starter too, mm. you know, the careers of incredible um, creatives like Brian Thompson, who's a set designer, you know, composers, um, costume designers, you know, they're all sort of getting their start yeah. as young people on productions like Hair and Jesus Christ I, I just think about that a lot, about um, productions of that, size that go for that long and they, they have such a long tail because they create an industry and a learning ladder, I guess, or a, a, a culture of learning mm. and apprenticeship that feeds itself. Yeah. Um, we were just watching the other night the Quentin Tarantino film Hateful Eight. It's not great, unfortunately, uh, but Zoe Bell has been on this show. Um, yep. Zoe Bell was one of the stunts, uh, stunties on Xena Warrior Princess. Yeah shot 185 episodes in yeah. New Zealand and that stunt crew is still working. Yeah. Still working around the world today. Absolutely. But also... Um uh, and then his legacy is in people that the people that worked for him too. So one of the greatest, I think, people to come out of our company uh, under when Dad owned it was I was a junior at the same time with a guy called Michael Castle who... Um, always had ambitions to be a theatrical producer. And the reason why, how he came to work for Harry is we were, we represented Alan Jones at the time and Michael was producing um, the, uh, you know, Carols by Candlelight in Kiama, which is where he lived. And he was like 15 or 16 or less. And um, the highlight of the Carols in Kiama was Alan Jones arriving on stage in the back of a ute dressed to Santa or the, it was a big finale and yeah. so and he you know he'd said to Alan I want to be a theatrical producer and he said well you can I'll introduce you to Harry huh. and so he came um, he came to the company and we we're about the same age and we both sort of studied part-time we sort of job shared for a while um, studied part-time doing business marketing or whatever at a business college um, and he would then um, he would then go on to work for Disney and then for another big company called Global Creatures and last year I sat um in the in the Capitol Theatre, as he was their local producer for Les Mis for Cameron McIntosh, <laughs> crying with pride, you yeah. know, because he and he, and he, you know, he adored Harry, still does, and you know he really followed through. But he, you know, he was given incredible exposure and and access to Harry's brain as a producer. And to be honest, that's what you know it was his. Harry's absolute core passion, and um, to see um, to see uh, Michael go on to have his own, um, but you know, be a producer well and truly in it his own right. It was an extraordinary right. production. An extraordinary production. Simon came on this show. He's so brilliant. Never had a just, singing lesson. There you go. <laughs> um, but it, but yeah. you know, incredible. So I think about you know, as he changed what he did for Australian um, arts and culture. You got to remember, he created the subscription programs at the for the ballet and the opera. He started the first Friends of the Art Gallery of New South Wales to get some advocacy and patronage in. You know, these are a lot of these things we sort of take 
um, take for granted. He was on the board of Qantas and various things. They might have been a bit straight for him at the time. But <laughs> one of the great cartoons in the office is a dancer and semi-nude dancing on the boardroom table, the Qantas boardroom table, saying the new costumes are straight from the production of hair. <laughs> <laughs> the new uh, uh, flight, um, flight attendant yeah, uniforms. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and there's great deals and talent and ups and downs and and all of those things. And I, and I suppose it wasn't, you know, it wasn't till I sort of started working there that I, you know, I got a bit of an appreciation and that's sort of the next steep learning curve yeah. happened. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Lauren Miller became the CEO of Harry and Miller Group in 2007 and in 2010 took ownership of the company. She's been a leader in the industry for many, many years from now. And like many leaders in our industry, uh, Lauren, and I know this for a fact, she spends a lot of time mentoring others. So I asked her, you know, what advice she would give to young women who want to have a career path or want to do something similar to what she does. If they ultimately, if the young women want to come and do what we do, I'll give you the perfect example. I've just written, there's a young girl who's an agent in my company and I said to her about a month ago, "You are, we are submitting you for the Achiever Under 30 and the um, 30 Under 30 for B&T and Mumbrella because I judged the Achiever Under 30 for Mumbrella last year and I'm like... Hayley should be here. Here's a 26-year-old girl who started as an intern for HMMG and said, I want to be in management. What does that mean? You know? And she's just applied herself, learnt, made mistakes, picked herself back up again. Um, and what what really struck me about her was that, uh, and, and in the years gone by, she's never going anywhere. I'll never let her go. She's not allowed to get married, have children or anything like that. <laughs> Just lock her in a cupboard. Um, but it's that sense of, it's that loyalty. And I think that that's what's missing. You know, I too have been stuffed over by juniors who stay with you for six months, see a job ad for $3,000 more and leave you. You know, it's that lack of loyalty and commitment and wanting to better yourself that is what really gets my goat about young young doesn't matter you boys or girls in the industry it's get good first and then negotiate your way up the chain <laughs> get good right and and they're not prepared to st- stick around and i'm a member i'm on the member of the prc which is a pr industry 
um, committee run by the comms council and I, I hear all the other sort of CEOs, they're all women, I think there's the old bloke in there, and they say, you know, their greatest issue is that the people that are coming up mid-range where they need to be good and hold responsibility is they just kind of stepped their way up. They're not necessarily, they haven't gotten good. And so I think if my, the key conversation I have is show a bit of loyalty because it holds, it has value um, and... You know, you can always, you know, if you're if you get good and you and you can deliver for a company, you will always get paid more. You will always be be able to negotiate negotiate your way up in that company. But you have to actually deliver first. And I think there's a bit of a, you know, maybe in a bit of a rush to be, you know, Instagramming from Santorini in July instead of actually just getting skills, building rapport, build your networks, gain people's respect, you know. I mean, and I had the great the great pleasure of writing my testimonial for Hayley before we came. But there are elements of our business where, like, she's managed Peter Morrissey's um, retail business in Big W. Um, it wouldn't have been as successful as it has been without her. And she's been doing that since she was 24, um, and she she deals in detail on that that I I am could could not be across all of that detail, you know. So, but but what I love about her is that loyalty, and she she you know puts it on the table. I'm not going anywhere. I'm doing this. I want to grow this. I want to do this. I want to you know get into the content projects you're getting into, you know. And I I love that. You need at least one of them in your organisation. Yeah. You had that with the Big Brother experience, as you said, with every 12 months, 20 new mm. people coming out and just having to churn through all that process and getting better and better and better and better and better at it. Yeah. And those, you know, and the agents that worked on Big Brother, um, they might not have stayed with us forever, but they will, they, we all agree, kind of sets you up for life. Mm. Um, I had this. Oh, look, I had the same thing when I was, you know, when my close friends were doing that overseas trip that you spoke of, yeah. uh, which I didn't do because I was mm. working midnight to dawn radio shifts in yeah. Brisbane six nights a week. Yeah. And so by the time I got to Channel V, uh, four and a half years later, mm. you know, I couldn't remember 10 days in a row that I hadn't been on air yeah. <laughs> since I was 20. Yeah. All right. Um uh, and now, you know, now I'm in the radio and, you know, back in doing breakfast radio, you see how many, oh, here's our podcast. They slip their podcast in and they think they're going to be on, mm. you know, do summer, do, do summer drive when Amish and Andy are off. It's like, no, no, you're not. Mm. Although people come out of, I won't say the radio school, but people come out of a particular radio school waving their diploma in their hands yeah. and go, oh, yeah, oh, you can put me on breakfast now. Yeah. Uh, up in, uh, you know, up in Darwin. So, no, actually, <laughs> actually, yeah. you know, and you're doing yourself a disservice, yeah. in my opinion. Absolutely. You're doing yourself a disservice by putting yourself out there at such a high profile when you're not polished mm. because then the reputation you've got is you're a bit shit. Yeah. But also a lot of talent who approach us for management think that you've got a pot of gold to spend on resources to pitch them out endlessly. It just doesn't work that way. My full conversation with Lauren Miller, which I, I thoroughly recommend. She's a great operator. I'm, I'm really grateful to be working with her and Rachel. Between the three of us, we've managed to achieve some pretty excellent things the last couple of years. Uh, the full conversation is episode 129. And, and bear in mind, when you listen to it, we were just mates. We since started working together, which is pretty cool. So check it out, episode 129. Scroll back 
and you'll find it there. Thanks so much to Bree Steele, who wrote and produced this episode, to Andy Marr, who did audio post-production, Rachel Barrett, the executive producer of everything, Mike Mills, Toehider, who made all the music, and you for listening. If you are in Sydney, I would love you to come along and check out the live show we're doing March 3rd, 10th, and 17th at the Factory Theatre in, in, in Marrickville. We Three more shows got added to the roster, and we're very, very excited about that. And I couldn't be more excited. In uh, March the 30th, we we kick off at the Malt House in, in Melbourne for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, which is mind-blowing, and all the tickets are available in the show notes. It's such a fun show. There's special guests every show. It's live. It's dangerous. It's brilliant. People have been coming every week, and I, I love making it, and I love the crew that I make it with. And it really is an enormously fun night out for everyone, people on stage and off. So I really hope you can come along and hang out with us because it's it's super awesome. If you need me, please jump on the mailing list. Again, the, the links are in the show notes. And until then, until I see you either on Friday or next week, I appreciate you so much for listening. Thanks for being a part of it. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 